Boss Uncaged is a weekly podcast that releases the origin stories of business owners and entrepreneurs as they become uncaged trailblazers. In each episode, our hosts, S.A. Grant and guests construct narrative accounts of their collective business journeys and growth strategies. Learn key success habits and how to stay motivated through failure, all while developing a boss uncaged mindset. Break out of your cage and welcome our host, S.A. Grant. Welcome, welcome back to Boss Uncaged Podcast. So the individual that I'm interviewing today is, is going to be a pleasure because we've known each other, you know, through our networking group for a period of time. And, you know, we spoke on, on similar stages and we had overlaps and all. But then when I, when I did my due diligence, I was just like, there's so much other additional information that people may not know that they network with, with her. So we're going to bring this information out today. So we're speaking with Chapman, and I'm going to give her her nickname, and her nickname is going to be the Expansive Boss. So those that know her business, then you obviously know why I'm calling her the Expansive Boss, right? So Hannah, the floor is yours. Why don't you tell the audience a little bit more about you, and what do you want to talk about today? Oh, man, S.A., thank you for having me on. Uh, expansive Boss is going on a hashtag. Um, so thank you for that. I am, I, I am here to change the way that people understand their money mm-hmm. and the, especially the way that visionary entrepreneurs are, are making financial decisions. Um, and I want that to be from a place of inner peace so that we can take bold action steps. That's what we want to do. That's what we're here to do is as visionary op- entrepreneurs is to create something new in the world mm-hmm. And when we start from a, you know, a shaky financial, like fear, stability, you know, unstable place, that is where we end up, you know, creating something that we don't really love, that it doesn't match our vision for what we want in the world. So my vision for my businesses, um, which include expansive CEO and also X squared wealth planning. My vision for both businesses is that we just, we create the space where you can have inner peace about your finances so that you can keep creating out in the world and then understand how to pay yourself and live a life that you actually love and build your own personal wealth while you're also helping build generational wealth, build wealth for your community, really see money in a new way. So, I mean, it, it, the listeners listening right now, you can obviously hear the passion. You, you can hear like like the tonality of the way she's pronouncing certain things. Like, you know that she's engaged in what she's doing. And as this interview progresses, you're going to hear about all her accolades and her awards. And she's they're well-deserved. But I want to take it back. I want to time travel back, right? I want to go back to your, your your college. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Did you go to Northern Arizona University? I did. So, and I want the people to listen to this. Like, what was your major? Music performance. I am a flutist. Yes. So here's my question. How the hell does someone get a degree in music through a flute turn out to be a financial planner? Oh, I love this story. It has two parts. There are two parts to this. Um, So the first aspect is that I am so detailed oriented, right? Like that's, that's one piece of it is when I was doing my degree in music, um, just the sheer organization of my schedule was 
daunting um, to the people around me. Like I was the one who kept everyone else on track. I was the one who like was practicing, right? So um, practicing several hours a day, really honing honing my craft um, was really, really important to me. And that skill set absolutely transferred. The other aspect of it is that math and music, like money, numbers, music, data, like they actually light up the same parts of the brain Mm -hmm. when you are in the act of creating music. And so those like the brain waves are actually quite similar. Mm. Um, And math and music, you know, they were always fairly easy for me. Um, The second aspect was that the thing that I actually really loved and when I was doing my degree in, in flute performance, Um, I didn't ever think I was going to like play in an orchestra. I wasn't going to, you know, go join the Boston Symphony. The flute is extremely competitive. Um, There are just so many flute players. It didn't ever seem like that was, that was going to be a thing. So I I would play at weddings. I got to play for different um, orchestras. I I did get to do a lot of playing and gigging um, as we call it. And I enjoyed that. But the thing that I actually really loved was teaching. And so when I was in the, the, the thing that was actually really special about me in college is that I volunteered at a lot of elementary schools until I started building a flute studio. And I ended up being, having the biggest flute studio yeah. in Flagstaff for a while um, that I built, that I built from scratch. And I loved it. It was so special to me uh, to be teaching these students and I have so many amazing stories um, from my time as a teacher. But that was my first true entrepreneurial experience was building that flute studio from scratch, from literally networking and volunteering. Um, And so that aspect of building my flute studio is what got me noticed when I went to, you know, when I applied for, you know, a job in financial services, I was like, well, I've done this before. Seems kind of similar. Um, so yeah, I mean, that was, that's, that's kind of the way the path went from that. Um, and my first job out of college was working at a bank. That was my other, that was my other dream job. When I was little, I thought it would be very cool to be a bank teller. Um, so I did that for a year or two. <laughs> So, I mean, obviously, like the, the listeners listening, they're saying like, wow, like you're kind of an overachiever. You have like these big goals and you went from doing all this with music, you know, creating a flute studio and then becoming a financial planner and writing for Forbes and writing books and doing all these different things. But the irony, the irony is last year, back in 2022, you did a video and the video was like, I do not like setting goals. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk about like like that, for example, because I mean, like, obviously, the transition is such a, a big thing for somebody to comprehend. And in that video, I think in the notes, you were talking about vision versus goals. So I want you to kind of break that down for us. Yeah, so for for me, I'll speak from my experience, um, because I think it is my best teacher. Whenever I have set a goal say like, I'm going to achieve this by this time. The self-sabotaging behaviors that come up are so interesting. Um, It's fascinating to see and as an introspective person to then like look in 
and and see, you know, oh, okay, how am I doing that this time? But whenever I have set like a financial goal or get this many clients or, you know, had a, some sort of outside influence saying, okay, you know, do X, Y, and Z every single day and you'll achieve something else. That never worked for me. It literally would repel the thing that I was wanting to achieve. And instead, what I realized was when I cast my vision out, what I see for myself and what I see is, here's the formula that I've noticed for myself. It's like, if I want to make a million dollars, I'm probably going to hit 500 first, right? So it's like, I can almost, the last few times that I've done something similar, it's like, okay, this is the version. This is like the version three that you're, that you're seeing in your vision right now. And, you know, in that time frame, we're going to get to about here. And then you're going to have to adjust some things so that you can get to that ultimate vision. So for me, what I've, what I've found, um, and actually I want to tie in um, a concept from Dan Sullivan from Strategic Coach, uh, who is a longtime entrepreneurial coach. Uh, he wrote a book called The Gap and the Gain. And this resonated so much for me in realizing that when I'm goal setting, I'm seeing the gap, mm. right? Like I'm, I want to be here, but I'm here. And I'm just trying to like jump that gap, jump that gap, rather than appreciating I started way back here in all of the progress that I've made and understanding, you know, in the scope, oh, the gap really isn't that big in the scope from where I started. But when I focus on it, I can't, it's like, I, I can't achieve it. Mm -hmm. So when I put it in the context of my bigger vision, suddenly, oh, okay, well, my big vision is up here. So if I can get up to this point, naturally, then it just, it, it flows. So for me, it really was a matter of unattachment, right? This, like just not having attachments to those outcomes and doing the things that light me up from the inside and um, just repeating those, like trusting that when I am in my most brilliant, fullest expression that the right people are going to come to me. I'm going to be doing the work that I love in the world and it will build monetarily, build the business, allow me to hire more employees, all of that. So, I mean, let, let's just unpack that and, and dig down that hole a little bit deeper, right? So what you're saying is kind of like if you're running a marathon, you're going to hit the wall, but if you keep pushing through it, eventually your distance will get farther and farther. And, that, and that, that's how you get to the million. So mm -hmm. I think your, your mission statement, and I'm a paraphrasing and, and swap out mission for vision statement, right? You want to be able to help 1 billion people feel at peace with their finances. Now, obviously, like if somebody's hearing that, they, they're going to be like, that that's crazy. Like that's, that's one eighth of the population. Right. But again, for you and, and for people like, like us that understand that, like you have to push the boundaries to make sure that you're actually super surpassing any achievable goal that you can think of. So I want you to talk about like that vision of 1 billion people. That vision of 1 billion people. If I were to think of it as 
I am touching 1 billion lives personally by myself, right? Then that's, that's overwhelming, yeah. right? There's, there's, that's, that, that does start to sound crazy when you're like, oh, how are you going to do that by yourself? I'm not going to do that by myself. That's the whole point. That's the whole point is that when I do the work in my zone of genius, my absolute zone of joy and genius, helping visionary entrepreneurs, those visionary entrepreneurs are also building up mm-hmm. their communities and building up, you know, their, their families. And the, the most beautiful thing is that almost every single client that I work with has a vision for what they want to create in the world too. And so I get goosebumps. I've literally gotten goosebumps hearing mm-hmm. when they see what their, you know, wealth could look like in the future when we do some of those future projections and they tell me how they're going to be able to create that nonprofit, donate to the causes that matter to them, create like a whole new system, you know, for housing the homeless with dignity, you know, like, I mean, it's just like goosebumps and tears sometimes with how beautiful these visions are. And so my vision relies upon building up others. And so as we, as we build up others, it doesn't take, it honestly doesn't take very long to get to a billion when you don't see it as yourself touching one by one, by one, by one, by one. If I can help a thousand entrepreneurs and those thousand can help a thousand, that's a billion. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. (laughs) I I think it's beautiful because I mean, obviously you're into finance. So those that don't know what the rule of 72 is, I mean, obviously you're applying that at scale and you're talking about multiplication through what you do. So you're not just going to affect one person. That one person affects three people, then that three people affect three people and so forth. So it multiplies. So a billion becomes a a really attainable objective, like really quickly. So that kind of leads me into this next statement that that I think you made on like there was a, um, a Facebook video or YouTube short and you were saying that we can have it all. So you kind of just, you know, you fell into that trap a little bit, right? So I want you to kind of talk about having it all and what that really means. I mean, obviously, one billion, that's a vision of having all to help. But what is your vision for yourself? And when you state, make that statement about having it all? We can have it all when we define what it all mm. means to us. And the trap that I see a lot of people fall into is falling into a lot of, I should, I should, someone else thinks I should, right? And so we end up shoulding all over everything that we do because we're, we're performing to someone else's level of expectation. Um, when I am like, when I am in my own version of having it all, Mm-hmm. Right. For me, having it all means, you know, being able to take vacations with my family. It means being able to pour myself into the work that matters to me. It means being able to send my kids to the school that really, really supports them. Um, it means, you know, allowing my husband to do work that matters to him in the world. Right. And it means there's, there's a lot to having it all. Mm-hmm. that is not the same definition as what it is for others. And so when mm-hmm. I'm working with my with my clients on this, it's it's about 
really defining what that means. Like, what do you actually, actually, truly want? Mm-hmm. Not what do you think looks good? Um, because some, for me, okay, I have a Tesla. I have a Model S. I love it to death. It is so fun and it's beautiful and it's an expense and I love it. Some people would see that and say like, why on earth would you need that? Like, well, you know what? I really love it. I really enjoy it. They have no desire for a fancy car, but they might take, you know, $20,000 vacations every year. Mm-hmm. And that's their, that's their thing, right? Or they might have a second home somewhere and that's what's important to them. Or they might pay for their kids to go to a school that costs $25,000 a year in high school. And that's what matters to them. So when we look at it from a lens of, it's not about what everybody else in the world wants. It's not about what you should have. It's not about optics. It's not about looking good uh, for your ego. Mm. It's about what you actually want to create in the world. You can, you can have the things that you want. And you can make time to enjoy them, right? That's the other piece of it is having time to actually enjoy the things that you actually want to do in, in this lifetime. So that's my, that's my stance. I'm sticking to it. So, I mean, I'm happy that was a solid segue to you know, talk about family. I mean, obviously, like, you know, like I'd seen a post that you was giving, you know, credit to your husband on Father's Day. And you were talking about both your daughters and correct me with their age. I think one is probably 12 and one is eight right now. Is that right? Up, right up? Yeah, I have three kids. I have so okay. 12, a daughter that's 12, a son that's 10 and a daughter that's almost eight. She'll be eight soon. So I'm not going to contact Leaf and let him know that you left him off because like, that's, that's the other my, thing, right? my dog, baby. Yeah, he's yes. three. <laughs> okay, okay. So one of your daughters, I think it was, was a post that was a phenomenal post and it, it makes perfect sense going back to like your creative background, right? And I think it was your daughter, she doesn't like to match the same color. She wears mixed match shoes. And I think your statement was like the willingness to be different ties into creativity. Mm-hmm. So I, I want to like, obviously you're talking about like, like family life, but I want you to kind of pull into that. Like how important is it for you as a financial advisor and with your family to have those creative outlets? Creativity is the basis for everything. And what I, what I love, and I remember that post and I, I think about it a lot because she's still just whatever two socks. But that day that was funny because she wore two different shoes. Mm-hmm. And I was like, huh, that's funny. And she's like, I'm just being different today. I'm like, all right, you go, Hazel, you go. Um, and that that is the spirit that drives innovation. Mm-hmm. That's the spirit that says it doesn't have to be the same. Oh, you're doing it that way? Huh, I thought about doing it this way. I think I'm going to try it. And that is, that is the, the seed. That's the seed of inspiration for innovation. And when we talk about creativity, I believe, especially entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs are creators. We are all creators. There's no, like, you've created your own net. You've created your own table to sit at. You have, you know, pulled up a chair and like, I'm going to do what feels most right for me. And that is an act of creation in and of itself. So just, you know, if I am artistic, you know, I am a musician. I, I do love to create actual like physical art as well. Um, my children are very creative, but 
it doesn't mean that that's the only way to be creative. The other acts of creation are, you know, I have clients who make gorgeous Excel spreadsheets, right? Guess what? That's creative and innovative, right? And and we don't have to limit creativity to an artistic outlet. Anything that you do that is like taking a new idea and like changing it in some way and putting it out into the world, that is an act of creativity. Um, and in financial planning and in, so in both my businesses, X Squared and Expansive CEO, the creative portion of it is that no two situations are ever the same. No two business owners, uh, no two couples, no two business partners are ever going to have the exact same set of, of parameters um, for their situation. And it's my job to help them sift through that. And it's my job to really, really listen with my ears, with my eyes, with my with my senses, really listen to those people and and draw out what truly matters to them. And then the act of creation is saying, guess what? Here are all the options that we can create based on everything you've said that you want or everything that you said that you have right now, right? Like the creative process is not, um, it doesn't stop. It doesn't stop at, you know, creating your business or like I said, creating art. Um, It is even in creating our next step here. You said you want this. We have all these options to get there. What feels like the right next step to you? What do you want to create? Um, So, yeah, I believe, I believe we are powerful creators in every sense of both words. Got it. Got it. So, I mean, with creation and being creative, I think the next thing that we should talk about is like your core values. And if I remember correctly on your website, your core values were prosperity, Mm -hmm. impact, equality, generosity, and joy. Yes. So I want you to kind of talk about like, you could have picked any five words. You could have picked any three words. You could pick a a thousand words. Why did you select those particularly five words? So that was done through a beautiful, so I'm part of, I'm part of a couple of different masterminds. Um, So shout out to my prosperity council um, mastermind partners uh, for that one. We meet every quarter, we meet weekly, but then every quarter we do like a deep dive, like a three-day deep dive into our businesses. And one session was around, Hey, let's, let's dial in our, our mission and vision and values and all of that. Um, and that's where I really got to tap into not only those those five you know statements of of prosperity, impact, um, generosity, joy. I forget the other one. <laughs> uh, the fifth one. Equality. Equ- equality. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but also, you know, helping a billion people live financially free lives. Like all of that came through at the same time. And you're right. I could have picked anything. I could have picked anything. But for me, prosperity has a very, has a very different um, definition, I think, than, than, you know, typical for a financial advisor, um, where it doesn't mean wealth creation to me. Prosperity really means being able to 
allow what comes to you to flow through you, that it's a measure of not just what you're able to hold on to, but a measure of what you are able to be a good steward of in this lifetime. That that as we become more stable with our own finances, as we become, again, better stewards mm-hmm. of the, the revenue and the income that flows to us, it, it helps us expand. It expands our ability to receive. And when we then allow it to flow through, when we see the way that our money impacts others, whether that's employees, your contractors, your, um, your vendors, right? Like any dollar you spend, any dollar you pay to someone else is then going into their community, going into their economy, right? Then they're going and spending it at their grocery store and supporting that, that ecosystem, right? Or spending it in their small business community and supporting other families. So the velocity of money, which is actually a technical term, but it is, you know, like your $1 that you pay to someone else has impact more broadly. And so when we see prosperity as not just what is it that I am keeping for myself and sitting on, you know, like a dragon protecting her hoard, right? That's, that's the image that always comes to mind. It's like, we're not, we're not sitting there guarding our gold or putting in a vault like Scrooge McDuck. We are allowing it. We are keeping the amounts that are that feel joyful, that feel abundant for us and allowing and understanding how every time we pay someone else, we are creating more prosperity in the world. So prosperity is a key driver, right? In that, in that definition for both of my businesses. The other pieces, equality, it's so funny that um, that one slipped my mind for a second because equality is another highly important aspect to me in being, I, I have been a woman in male dominated spaces all of my career. Um, I also grew up with three brothers. Uh, so I was <laughs> the only girl and that, you know, so I've always been in um, spaces that were not necessarily made to fit me, if you want to put it that way. And so what I have, what I have determined and the, one of the reasons that I Uh, launched X Squared was that originally I wanted to work with female entrepreneurs, like help us get a leg up and, you know, really support that demographic. But what I noticed as I was talking and as, you know, I'm just being me, I also draw so many like heart-centered, truly, truly generous, kind, amazing men to me as well. And when I stepped back and looked at that, I was like, yeah, I want to help these people. Absolutely. I have no, I have no reason not to want to work with anyone who fits that, that niche for me of wanting to create a business that does good in the world. And when I see, when I see other people that want to create equality, whether that's whether that's gender equality, racial equality, uh, socioeconomic equality, education opportunities, you know, there are so many ways that we can see equality that we want to that someone, everyone has their own piece of the mm-hmm. puzzle that matters, right? And I want to support 
other entrepreneurs who also want to create more equality in the world. Um, so yeah, that one's really impactful for me. Um, and then I'll, I'm going to speak to that because that also, that holds an impact mm-hmm. as well, right? Like that's, that is right in there that we are creating businesses that will have impact beyond just our own, our own selves. Um, and joy is the other one that I really want to talk about because that's the, that's the piece. If we can be, I'm going to say it again, in our zone of genius, mm-hmm. it's really important to me to help people focus in on the thing that they are the best at, that they love the most, where they are in their um, zone of joy and genius. Um, is another way that I say that, that light, when you're just, you can, you can see it. That's like contagious. And it, you know, people want to be around someone when they are passionate about what they're talking about. And so when we bring that joy from within ourselves, that is the example that does like, it's the match. It's the match that lights the other matches, mm-hmm. right. And allows other people to be in their joy. Um, so are we bringing, are we, are we looking at ways that we can create more joy in our lives um, and really, really accept that and be that and, and love, love to be joyful rather than, um, you know, ra- just rather than pretending like it doesn't matter, because it does matter. Hmm. I mean, I'm just, I'm just listening to you. I mean, I think this is probably one of the reasons why your creative side, you had to have a podcast, right? I mean, obviously, like you're influencing people, you're helping them with the numbers, but you had to have another outlet that way you can be like really, really creative. And you're not the standard financial planner. I mean, you're kind of like a feng shui. You kind of like talk about finance, but you're also talking about the way of life at the same time. Right. So -hmm. I think one of my best episodes that I I listened to from you was um, Money Stories Matters. And I think it was Melanie was the, the person's name that you interviewed. And based upon what you just said with equity and prosperity, I think one of the comments that she had made was um, no, there's no ownership in products. And she was talking about the middle classes being outdated. So I want you to kind of let this, this, this hint on that a little bit. I mean, you guys also touched on the industrial revolution as well, which is, I wish we had enough time to talk about that. But I mean, ideally, I want you to kind of talk about like the equity, well, the um, equality, the prosperity, and how does that kind of roll into the middle class being outdated in today's market? Oh, man. Yeah. So that episode with Melanie Klein, fire. So good. Um, it was so good. And what we were speaking about um, in that episode, you know, her background is decades of being, you know, socio- sociology and gender studies uh, professor. And oh my gosh, yeah, I loved that conversation. And the impact of not just our, you know, our upbringing. Um, so this, this is what, you know, it's like we imprint our stories. Our money stories come from usually when we are zero to seven. What are we experiencing? What is, what is the thing that's happening in our world, you know, with our parents, with our grandparents, with, you know, our, whoever our caregivers are at that time, what are we imprinting? Because then that then becomes our template for the world going forward. But 
when we actually zoom out, you know, what was our parents' template or our caregivers? Their template, you know, came from something from their their parents and their caregivers. And then the next generation back. So when we looked back and when you when you allow yourself to see a bigger, wider context of why do you feel the way you feel about money? Well, there is some piece of it that is personal. There's some piece of it that is uh, from, you know, your upbringing. Then there's a big piece of it that's societal. And there's a big piece of it that's generational. And, and, and the collaborative, right? The collective um, as a whole, we create these money stories. So one of the one of the things that I think about often, actually, from that interview with Melanie was this idea that there there are these polarized views of, you know, there's a segment of society that believes to be rich is to be greedy, is to be a horrible person. You know, you've got like greed is bad, riches are bad, you know, a rich man can never... Um, you know, go to heaven, like all of those ideas where to be morally pure is to be poor or, you know, to not, to not want for something. And so there's, you know, morality in having less. And then on the flip side, literally exactly opposite is, you know, this idea of, um, God wants you to be wealthy and God wants you to have everything that you need. And, you know, the rich are doing it right. And if you're poor, you've actually done something very wrong. And so, you know, it's morally correct to be rich and it's incorrect to be poor. You know, you've done something wrong. You're not a hard enough worker, whatever it is. And so we've got these two dichotomies. Um, and when we like zoom back out, who's right? Why do both of these things exist? Like, oh, oh, they can't, they can't actually both be right. It's actually nothing. <laughs> money is amoral. Money is data. Money is numbers, right? And so it's the stories that we wrap around why we do or do not have the amount of money that we want that then create societal structures. And then we like silo ourselves into these different societal structures of having too much money is bad or, you know, having a lot of money is good. And if you don't have money, it's bad. Right. So we create these, these are, these are not, um, these are not reality in the, in the sense of what money actually is. And so the other, what was the other piece that Melanie was talking about? I, I loved that she brought in, she brought in um, some examples, you know, from her own um, experience in college as well that I loved, like having friends who, you know, their parents had money and like got them started. And, you know, suddenly like, oh, oh, this is very different. My world, my world has just expanded because I didn't know that this existed. You know, so, so we, we create these silos around ourselves. We create walls um, around what we think, what we think money is and what we think we can have 
based on our previous experience, based on our parents, based on our, our socioeconomic place that we grew up. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's in dissolving those barriers, dissolving those silos that we can then just see it for what it is and then make a new choice is how I feel. Yeah, I think I think it's a phenomenal viewpoint, and I think you're living up to that, right? I mean, coming from a bird's eye point of view, look, looking at what what you've done, right? I mean, this year alone, you were voted um, financial advisor of the year 2023 for Cincinnati, right? In addition to mm-hmm. that, you're you're a Forbes contributor. So I think for you, being more so an educator, that's getting paid to 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 give and deliver value, but you're also creating this legacy for your kids, and you're influencing them to, I would say intergenerational wealth. So I want you to kind of talk about like that component again, because again, I think you're, you're, you're two halves, right? I mean, like one half of you is created, the other half of you is very analytical. So I would say you're split down the middle. How does that work for you in, in encompassing what you do, but also giving your kids the freedom to take the information that you're delivering and what you, I mean, also you, you give back, I think it's um, 5% of your proceeds goes to a, a nonprofit as well, right? Mm-hmm. So, yes. Yeah, so I want you yeah. to talk about all of the things that I just said, but like, how does that really work for, for you in ingraining that in your kids? One of the most beautiful things um, that I have experienced over the last couple of years is, you know, being that example for my children, um, you know, and my kids, they're, they're young. So they were, you know, 10, 8, and 6 um, when I launched, uh, or a little, maybe 9, nine, nine, seven, and five, when I launched X squared, um, and seeing them like, I'm going to be a financial advisor when I grow up, like, yeah, get it girl. Um, and just that example of you can create the thing. Right. And so when they, you know, um, Hazel just my, she's my almost eight year old, you know, they do writing projects in second grade. And so she has all these things that she's written. Um, so every once in a while, they'll come home and I'll get to read them. And, you know, she said on one of her pages, my mom is the boss of a whole company. She made it herself. I'm like, I did. I did make it myself, baby girl. Thank you. Um, so they're seeing it, right? That's, I think that's one of the biggest uh, legacies that we can leave for our children is the, the knowing, right? Like they're seeing it and experiencing it that, that we can create something. You can also, that's what I'm telling them. You can also create what you want in this world. Like that is here for you. Like the creativity that I bring to my work. um, And like I said, you know, So I love that you called out the analytical plus the creative side, because I do the same thing. Like I love a pretty Excel spreadsheet. I'll just be honest. And I also love to create art. Um, And when I, when I allow myself, whatever creative expression is coming through, I also like turn to my kids and tell them the same thing. Like, yes, let's, let's create, like, what do you want? to do. Let's, you know, so for a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of time is spent, um, by my children drawing. Um, they love to draw my, my son, Henry has created this whole country. Like he has a country it's called our Morocco. I don't know why. Um, but he, 
whenever he hears different things, you know, he like incorporates it into how his country is run. And so when they were doing, you know, when we're talking about equality in school, he's talking about like how everyone has equal opportunity in our Morocco. And that's really important. And they would never have, you know, these segregated aspects with regards to race or gender. Everyone can be who they want to be. And like, he's, he is like downloading this information and then like creating his own country out of it, right? Where things are running in his 10 year old mind, the way that the world ideally should look. And I love allowing them to um, explore that. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's super important to me when it comes to the two, those two halves of my brain. um, I also, I, or just the way that I express in the world, I also think that it's what gets results. That's the, so for me, what I was noticing um, in my own work, so before I launched uh, X Squared, the firm I was at for a long time, it was, there was a lot of, a lot of head, right? A lot of analytics, a lot of like, do this checklist. Like, okay, we did all the data entry. Here's your checklist, go do the thing. And people don't do the thing, right? Even if they have a beautiful checklist of like, here's your to-dos, they might get through some of them, but then when they hit an emotional roadblock with a thing that they're supposed to do, or if, you know, an extra expense comes up and it feels stressful, um, people typically just spiral out of, spiral out of what they were doing and then don't go back to saving and don't, actually hit their goals, don't actually make the transformations they want to make because they're just using the logic side. What I found when I started helping people tap into the money story side and the emotional side of money, what we see is that here's the data. The data is the data. And it's how we feel about the data, the emotions that come up around the data that actually govern how we are going to respond to it, what decisions we are going to make about the data. Mm. And so my, my job is actually to first provide really good data, right? Make sure we have good data, good charts, good graphs. That's the analytical side of me. That's important. The other part of my job that is actually more important. I would say the 80-20 rule, right? That's probably 20%. The emotional side is 80% is to support the person through that financial decision-making process and doing the deep dive within to say, is this what you really want? What's coming up? What are you feeling um, about making this decision? What's getting in the way? Because this is a decision that you said you wanted to make. So let's talk about what's happening internally so that you can actually make a decision. Um, so you can walk forward feeling good about your decision. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it, it feels like the in the industry, in my industry, most of, most people are just very logical, and they only they they rely one hundred percent on logic, mm-hmm. and they ignore the behavioral and the emotional because it can it can be uncomfortable especially when you have two spouses in the room that are not agreeing on something, guess what? That can get a little uncomfortable. 
but who's going to be the one that's going to help them talk through those issues if it's not you, right? You are the me, me being the person who is able to hold the space for that conversation so that transformation can happen. So I want I want the listener to, to really listen to what you said. And it, it, it's, a, it's such a profound statement. I mean, obviously, it kind of goes back to what you're saying. Most people in industry, they're analytical. But like earlier on, I said, like, you have this dysfunctional way of talking about these topics, almost kind of like maternal. But at the same time, you're very like, distinct in, in the definitions and the details of what you're talking about. So it comes across like, kind of like, a, like, almost like sound waves, like, you know, literally is like, sonogram ways and then like it's almost mesmerizing so i could definitely see part of your success is part of the way you deliver that information as well so i want to talk about like historically like obviously now you're growing these three young bosses okay i'm not gonna leave off leaf leaf is a boss and a half right and right. yourself and, and your husband but i mean like like were your parents were any of them entrepreneurs are you getting any of this boss genetics from them or is it something that you just grew into going on that is a big big part of my story and my not just my parents um were entrepreneurs my you know when i was growing up uh there were at least two businesses um that they were running in the household but my aunts uncles grandparents on both sides like entrepreneurship does run in my family very strongly and so you might hear that and be like, oh, you were just born into it. Mm, mm -mm. No, it was not an easy childhood. My story, my, my age zero to seven story is that we had so little mm. that we had nothing is what it felt like when I was, when I was very young, when we lived in a trailer, we were on food stamps frequently. Um, there was not a lot of money. And what we did have, you know, it was like we had, when we did have money, when it started to get better, um, my dad, my parent, both of my parents, my dad worked very hard. I remember very clearly when I was probably three or four years old, he worked three jobs. So he had a painting business where he was painting. That was the business was residential repaint um, inside, outside in Phoenix, Arizona. Very, very hard work. He also drove a cab and delivered pizza in the evenings. All, you know, like they were working very, very hard. Mm -hmm. And so part of my money story that I've had to overcome in my life is that idea that, yes, you can do whatever it is that you want to do, but it's going to be hard. Mm -hmm. Like you're going to be working really hard and, you know, it's very stressful, right? Money is hard to make and it's hard to hold on to. Those were two of the core ones for me. And so what that actually did was put me a hundred percent off of entrepreneurship. And actually that story of being self-employed, mm, here's the, here it is with my dad and with his brothers is that they were basically unemployable, that they couldn't get along with people well enough to be employed. Right. And so that was the, that was also one of the stories. Um, that would come up and that, you know, it, again, in my lineage that, oh yeah, there's just like a stubborn streak. Um, and self-employment is really hard and it's really hard on a marriage and it's really hard on a family. Those are the stories that I hear. 
So when I was growing up, when I was at the age of like people asking me what I wanted to do, I wanted to be a teacher or a bank teller. Circling it back. I wanted stability. Mm. Nine to five, right? Like holidays off, right? You're, I'm going to get a paycheck. Everything's going to be stable. I'm going to teach. So those those two, it's funny that those were always, those were my two dream jobs, being a teacher, being being a bank teller. Um, but there was a, it felt like a lot of stability to me while at the same time, that drive to create, that drive to do something for myself was also always there, which is apparent from what we talked about before with, you know, building my flute studio, teaching flute, private flute lessons. And when I was in college, I also, so I built that private flute studio. I taught flute lessons. I also worked at the auditorium, you know, helping with the lights and the soundboards and the setup. And um, I also worked at Eddie Bauer in the mall over the summers. I painted, um, literally painted dorms, you know, like on the painting crew. Um, and I was, I was working really, really, really hard all the time. So when I switched into um, financial services, uh, we originally, I I live in, I'm from Phoenix, Arizona. I live in Cincinnati, Ohio right now. Uh, We originally moved to Cincinnati for my husband to go to graduate school at the University of Cincinnati back in 2007. And that's when I moved into financial services um, and financial planning specifically. And that was the point that, so that was the first point where I was like, I'm going to dedicate everything. So I'm not going to do any extra stuff. I'm going to dedicate everything to this profession. Right. So I I didn't, I didn't have multiple jobs. Mm-hmm. I took the mindset of like all the stuff I could be doing. I'm going to focus. I'm going to focus on this one thing. And it wasn't until about maybe nine years in that I started getting really bored, that I was doing the same thing over and over. And I was like, I can't, I can't see myself. I couldn't see myself doing that for another six months, let it, let alone like another, I don't know, 40 years or whatever. Um, and I knew, I knew I was that, that drive, that call to be, you know, be an advisor um, was like, I, I got to create my own I need to have my own client relationships. I need to be the one building for myself. Like I felt that really strongly, but so this was back in 2017, but I was still scared. I was still scared of going out on my own because I knew, knew, quote unquote, that it was going to be too hard. It was going to be too hard to do it on my own because of the examples that I had seen over and over again with my family. And we don't have to go into that whole story um, of why I left, but I did end up leaving. I, I came to the conclusion in 2020, you know, from 2019 to 2020, that I, I was not going to be able to build the business that mattered to my heart in the way that I wanted to build it at the place I was at. Mm-hmm. And I, I had to create it. I had to create it on my own. Um, and so that's what I did. So I leapt, I leapt into entrepreneurship. I trusted, I trusted myself that I had the skills. I, it had been, I'd been in, at that one job for almost 13 years at that point. 
building, you know, building and building all of the skills, all the knowledge, all the credibility, everything that I needed. And I trusted and I leapt. And my journey through entrepreneurhood, entrepreneurship so far has just been like the most exquisite, painful, joyful, confusing, infuriating, amazing journey of understanding myself. Mm. And what I've found over this, you know, this time is that the more I understand me, the more deeply I understand me, the more deeply I understand my feelings and my, my things that activate me, that translates exactly hmm. for my clients. I think you said something that, that was so phenomenal. And, you know, I'm listening to like all the, the key words and syllables. And I want to break something down phonetically for the listener to kind of hear this. And you said that you always wanted to be a teacher or a bank teller, right? So I want the listener to think about this. A bank teller, the first key word that comes to mind is money and money then goes into finance, right? Education is the first key word that goes with teacher and education also becomes advisor. So by default, if you look at it phonetically over a period of time, she is a financial advisor, which is essentially a teller and educator. All in one. A, mon a money teacher. Facts. 100% facts. So it's kind of like, you know, you thought about it from a positive thing standpoint about what you wanted. But I mean, I think you, you achieved it. It's not underneath the direct title, but if the way I broke it down, you can kind of actually see the path of how you got to where you are, because that's, that's what you always thought about wanting to be. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And truly that education piece, that is, that's the part that sparks for me in, in wanting to help mm. and wanting to help um, more broadly. Right. And so that comes in with the, you know, my social media presence um, with the podcast, with the expansive CEO podcast, with, uh, with my Forbes columns and the other writing that I do, that is education. Like I, I want people to have access to those free resources so that they can start to learn. Mm. Right. And, and I love that it can lead to someone becoming a client and um, you know, we can all win financially in that way, but the education just starting from that place uh, so that people can feel more empowered about how they make financial decisions. Mm. Like, yeah, 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 that's my core. Well, I think even diving a little bit deeper into that, I mean, obviously you're at a point to where most financial advisors don't create content at scale like you do. I think you and I, we understand creating content. Like we create content pretty much on autopilot. Like no matter where you go on the internet, you'll probably see one of our content. So I think that's part of the key to your success. As a creator, you understand the value of creating so much content and the beautiful part about your content that the viewer, I want you to look at our content and realize that our content is evergreen. It's never dated. It's never relative to a current event. It's always about um, being a CFO or understanding finance or just understanding the rule of 72. All these things have been around forever. So again, like 20 years from now, your content is still educating people that are probably not even born yet. So I want you to kind of talk about like, how did you get into creating such a vast amount of content? That came from two things. Uh, so I'm going to get, um, 
gonna get real honest here and say that um, I am a Leo and I like being in front of the camera and I have always been super comfortable uh, on stage. My Again, my degree is in flute performance. Um, and so I did, I did a lot of public speaking. I did a lot of, you know, playing on stage. Um, I was even from the time I was little, I was the one that was tapped to, you know, sing solos and whatever. Um, and so that aspect of me that like desiring to, to be on camera, um, is, is there. And so that's a piece of it. So for people who are like terrified of, um, you know, even just, you know, turning on and talking to a camera that, that takes a little bit of a different approach from someone who's just like, yeah, like, give me that. I'll talk to the camera. Um, so there's that, that piece of it, but that's not, that's not even where I started, right? I started with writing. I started, um, I started writing for Forbes. I would write, I wrote a lot of blogs. I would write long form. So if you go back a couple of years, a lot of my content is long form writing. Um, even for social media, like to the character max, um, on every platform. And what I've done is really follow my own curiosity and speak to the thing that is currently interesting to me, the thing that is lighting me up and the thing that I'm seeing a lot of what I talk about is, um, like I might have three or four client meetings in a row where some like not through my own prompting, but they are having similar issues. Like there, we will go through cycles throughout the year where people are having similar issues. Uh, and when I pull those issues out, because several of my own clients have talked about them, that is what resonates. That resonates really widely because it's not, you know, it's not a personal issue, right? Whatever we're experiencing with our money, you know, is something that someone else is experiencing too. And so when I, the approach that I take now, I would say uh, more than a year ago now, maybe about a year and a half ago, I had a desire. Again, it was this little seed of desire of like, I want to start a podcast and I, I don't want to write so much anymore. I want to talk. Mm -hmm. I just want to talk. Like that was the seed of desire as I was feeling confident in what I was writing. And my, then I was like, mm, no, I don't want to want to, I don't want to write so much anymore. And so when I followed that little spark, what I noticed the podcast coming first. So that was uh, originally on YouTube only. And I called it connection squared. So X squared is my business and connection, connection squared um, was my first version of the podcast because I was having conversations. I was meeting people and having these phenomenal conversations that we would be like, man, we should have recorded that. It was so good. I'm like, well, what if we just start recording them? Mm. Um, so it was all very organic in the sense that it was like, again, a desire that I had, a desire that I, that I followed and just allowed it to unfold in the way um, that was, that was right. And so, yeah, with the social media videos, it's like tapping into, tapping into the pieces of me that flow naturally and 
speaking, speaking from the heart. So a lot of, um, I've had people ask me to like, how do you say the right thing? Like, are you reading? Like, it doesn't seem like you're reading a script, but it's like, you don't mess up anything. Like, well, that's not true, but also no, I'm not reading a script, right? I might do a couple, like if I completely flub something, I will yeah. might do another take of it, but I'm, I'm genuinely just speaking, mm. speaking from my experience, speaking from my heart, speaking, you know, whatever truth is coming up at the moment and, and sharing that. Um, and so when, yeah, when people ask like the strategy, when I try to get too strategic with it, it starts to fall apart. Mm. And when I let it be, when I just let it flow. That's when it feels easier. So I am, uh, I'm, I don't know. I'm like water. Hmm. Oh, bringing up Bruce Lee people. Letting it go. Right. <laughs> I think, I think it's phenomenal. So, I mean, I, to add on to, to your, your title, I mean, expansive manifestation is kind of like the, the, the flow of the water is kind of what you're talking about. So I want you to talk to the listener and give them words of insight. Again, just flow, right. Just become water. Right. And just talk to them and let them know how they can go from where they are currently and grow into where they want to be. Mm. This is this is the work of my life. This is the work of my life. This is the process that I have taken others through that I have gone through myself and then, you know, took the time to name is the expansive CEO process and that is the act of discovery, alignment and expansion. And so from wherever you are right now, the first piece is you are right where you're supposed to be. You are where you're supposed to be. And you are there because you're there and you're supposed to be there because everything that you've done up until now has led you here. And when we move from a place of accepting where we are right this second, not blaming, not shaming, nothing, you know, just letting it be. That's when we can start to make a plan to move forward. That's when you start to see opportunity. That's when you start to see, oh, I do have choices about how I can proceed in my life. And that's the, that's the discovery, the discovery of what is it that you truly care about? What is it that you truly want to create? What is it that you truly want to experience for yourself and for your family? And if you're starting a business or if you have a business, what impact do you want your business to have on the world? What impact do you want your business to have on your family? Start writing it out, name it, name it. Our thoughts, our thoughts are creative, but they get more powerful when we put them into words. And so that's that first discovery process is taking those thoughts and putting them into words. And when you do that, and when you start to tell other people who are supportive, so this is SA, you and I with our networking groups, um, you know, and in our work in the world, like that's a piece of it. Tell me, tell me what it is because I might know someone that can help you. I might help you. 
right? Like you never know, or I might not know anyone, but just the act of you saying it has helped you clarify it and get even more clear on what you actually want to create. So discovery, taking your thoughts and putting them down and letting it come from your heart, letting it come from your heart as well. And then, okay, look, there's, that's what you want. We, we did it. We wrote it down and it might change in the future, but that's what you want right now. We're going to bookmark it. Let's take an assessment and discover where you are right now. Take a good look. Where are you financially? Where are you in relation to how you want to be spending your time? Where are you in relation to how you want to be spending your energy? That's the other part of discovery is like really actually knowing where you are. What is your actual starting point? And again, there is no should be anywhere. Where you are is where you are. And it's perfect. Once you know, once you know, that's where your roadmap is. So here's where I am. Here is where I desire to be. That's where we can finally start to shift into aligning our actions. That's the alignment piece. Alignment is aligning your time, your money, your energy. The energy is the most important part. How do we align your time and money? So you're spending your energy, your most precious resource in service to creating what you want to create in this world. And when you do that, when you start to use your energy and your time and your money in alignment, the closer you get to spending all your, your time, your money, your energy into creating that life that you said you wanted to create, you will expand. You will. That is, that is how the world works. When you plant a seed and you water it and you give it the right amount of sunlight, it will grow. It will grow. And that's, the, that's that ex expansive process. When you start to grow, that's where things get fun and interesting and um, shit starts breaking. <laughs> it happens, right? Your systems, your processes, things start happening. And that's where you really need support to say, all right, how do we clean things up? How do we make things more stable so that we can discover again and expand again? Hmm. And that's, yeah, from wherever you are right now, figure out what it is that you truly want and start taking aligned action steps. Whether you do that with me or anyone else, you can do that on your own. And I'm just listen, listening to, and, and I want to listen. I mean, it's it's, it's kind of like um, financial expansive therapy. It's like I'm sitting on on a couch with a therapist, and 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 they're, they're walking you through this. So if the listener wants to get in contact with you, I think that you had like a like a, a free offer, and, and what website, and and where did they get in contact with you? Because obviously, I think therapy is something not only for the intellectual people. But I, I think you're delivering it both on the emotional and the intellectual to help them grow their finances. So with them sitting down on your couch for an hour should be beneficial. So how do they get in contact with you? Absolutely. So you have, and actually, okay, so SA, this is, this is a direct shout out to you as well. I have been really cultivating um, my personal brand a lot over the last year. Um, I love the framework that you use for that. So thank you uh, for sharing that at the last summit, because what I was realizing was, you know, I do have these different offerings 
I do have different offerings for people at different places on the, the path. Mm-hmm. And, and I have that for a reason. So, you know, I speak about financial peace and stability and how we can then create expansive results, right? That's my, that's my forward-facing brand to the world of Hannah Chapman. That's what I want to teach. Mm-hmm. Expansive CEO is a beautiful place to really get your hands and your mind and your heart wrapped around where you're at financially and how you expand. I have a very awesome six-week program uh, that I'm offering now that really goes through the inner and outer game of how do you create financial systems and processes for your inside and for your outside um, that will help you build your business. That is at expansiveceo.com, super easy. And there is a phenomenal free gift there besides the podcast, which is also free, um, but about niching, right? It's how to get your time back and thrive. And that goes through my special sauce with niching, which is not necessarily about who's the person that you are working with, but who, how do you want to work with people? And how do you want to deliver that? And so it's a, it's a different take on niching. Again, that's at expansiveceo.com. There's a tab, tab called free gifts. Um, and you can grab that right there. For the people who are ready for that one-on-one financial, come sit on my couch for an hour every month. But before that, we're going to go through the full comprehensive financial planning process. We're going to do all of the digging. We're going to do all of the gentle excavating. I work with visionary entrepreneurs, so I am well aware of the handholding needed uh, to get through the financial process. I have a very um, soft-handed white glove approach to financial planning with visionary entrepreneurs um, that is very special and very different and very elevated from the regular experience. And so when we do comprehensive financial planning, you know, it is an upfront investment and then ongoing monthly um, retainer. And we also do bespoke investment management there as well. So when you are building wealth or if you have wealth that's already built, we have a beautiful bespoke investment management arm um, that can take care of the actual implementation, not just the planning, but the implementation. So that is the that is the deep dive one-on-one side that's through X squared wealth planning. The other difference uh, that I want to call out is that in X squared, I am a full, I'm a fiduciary. That is my CFP hat. I'm a certified financial planner. Um, I have an amazing team behind me of other just amazing, brilliant financial minds. Um, and that is only for people who are based in the US. So that is the only restriction there. So you have to be US-based. The other piece of expansive CEO that was really special to me is there are no borders. We all experience money all around the world. I talk to people in Canada, in Mexico, in Europe, in Australia, in New Zealand. We all have the same financial stories that come up. And so it was really important to me to have an offer that could be borderless. And so that is also part of expansive CEO. So, I mean, obviously you're listening right now. I would definitely say, take her up on this offer, check it out. I mean, just this experience of this interview, you can kind of see like, 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 I mean, it kind of goes back to to our heart and soul, which is music. And like, if you could visually see, you can kind of see the synchronicity of this conversation just flowing. 
So to kind of shake things up and throw a little bass in there, I want to switch it up for a minute, right? I wanted to ask you a, a question about if you had an opportunity to spend 24 hours with anyone, and this person could be someone from the past that's dead or someone that's presently alive, who would you want to spend 24 hours with and why? Oh, man. Um, I think it's got to be Mackenzie Scott right now. Hmm. And I mean, there there are a lot of other... Uh, a lot of other options, right? But I feel like she is changing the way that we view philanthropy and what dollars can do. Mm. She is giving gifts to universities and programs in the way that they have never received before. And it's a drop in the bucket for her, mm. right? It just comes right back. She gives hundreds of millions and billions of dollars away and it just comes right back. And she is the embodiment right now of creating space to say that money can do good in the world. And I'm going to freaking show you how. Hmm. Hmm. And I have been, yeah, I've, I have been very inspired by the way that she is shifting and changing um, the philanthropic landscape and, and really, you know, I don't know. She's, she is making waves. And so I would love to spend time just asking her, you know, what, yeah, her heart, what's on your heart when you're, when you're making these decisions and, and how, how do you want this to impact generations? Like, what do you see the legacy of this being um, in your lifetime and beyond what, what vision, what's her vision? What's her big vision for what that means? So I, yeah, I would love that. I think it's definitely a phenomenal answer, which kind of just leads to like your intellectual side. And this is a, is a question that that I usually have opportunity to ask, and I'm going to ask it now. It, it, but with you being so profound on the education spectrum, what books would you want to recommend in, in the finance space or just business that helped you to get to where you are currently? Oh, I love books. Oh, my gosh. Um, I'm going to do I'm going to start doing a. Um, maybe not a book club, but like book reviews, definitely on the podcast. There are several that I recommend constantly. Uh, the first one is The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks. That book talked to me about upper limit problems in a way that I had never understood them before. Like where are we creating our own glass ceilings? Where are we limiting the joy that we can experience? Because we're doing it. We're all doing it right? Something really good will happen. And then, you know, you get sick, something really good will happen and you'll lose a client. So, you know, it, how, and, and we want to just blame the world. Mm -hmm. mm -mm. Nope. Where, how can we look inside again? Mm. And so in the big leap, he really goes over first upper limit problems for quite a while and then goes into, you know, finding your zone of genius. I've said that a million times in this podcast already, but yeah that's such an important aspect is being in your zone of joy and genius as much as possible. Um, and so that that's one of the biggest like recommendations that I give. Another one is that I've read more recently, um, but was also really impactful was the gap in the game by um, Dan Sullivan, again, strategic coach. Phenomenal book, phenomenal book about how do we 
again, how do we, how do we measure our progress and how do we stay as much as possible in this, in this gain momentum? Hmm. I have come so far. How do I stay in the gain rather than seeing, always seeing the gap that no matter what I, what I achieve, it's not good enough. Even if I achieve my goals, oh, but it's not what I really wanted, right? That's the trap we can fall into. And on the, on the spiritual side, because this is for me, again, it's not just about the data and the numbers. It really is about how you feel and how, who you're being. The Untethered Soul mm. by Michael A. Singer. It took me a few tries to get through that one because uh, if you read it, you'll, you'll start to hear it. He talks about the mind chatter, the roommate in your head that's always going, the chatter that's always there. And how do you start to calm that? And how do you start to move from a place of presence rather than constant mind chatter? Hmm. Um, so those are, those are some of the books that yeah. I recommend constantly. <laughs> And I think each one of those books that you recommend kind of go to your personality. Like one is analytical, one is spiritual, and one is like more on the creative spectrum. So it's kind of like you're always doing the juggling act between both hemispheres, which is a beautiful thing, which kind of leads me into with so many different achievements. I mean, earlier on, we talked about you being nominated for the, for the top financial advisor for the year. You've been writing for Forbes for a period of time. You have accolades up and down, like, like a lot of accolades, right? What is your most significant? achievement personally for you to date? Mm. Gosh, it feels like just doing the damn thing. Hmm. It feels like launching X squared was the scariest and most necessary thing I've ever done in my whole life mm -hmm. for me or myself. And until something bigger comes along, I think that'll be, that'll be it. Just the simple act of trusting myself and doing it and speaking up for myself and leaning into the discomfort that I, you know, that I was experiencing and doing it anyway and making it not just work, but making it thrive. That's, that's been, that's been it. Um, to add on to that, if you don't mind me ad-libbing, based upon this interview, I would say viewing from the outside in that biggest achievement when I, I've seen you light up many different times in this conversation, but I think the biggest heart light up moment is when you talked about your daughter writing that you were a boss of your own business. And, and I would just say like, like that is, a, is an achievement by itself because like to your point, you're creating a legacy not only from a business standpoint, but from a female empowerment standpoint to let your daughter know that she can do and do whatever she wants to and achieve it by your example. Yeah, yeah. yeah. exactly. So going into closing, I mean, you're a podcaster. I like to give everyone an opportunity that's whether a podcaster or not to run the Boston Cage podcast and opportunity to ask me a couple of questions. So the show is yours. What questions do you have for me? Oh man, essay. How do you make time for all of your creativity. You are just, you are just exploding with creativity. I would love to hear they got the shoe line, the notebooks. You are so, you were like, when you're on a mission, you go. I want to hear about that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, it, it's, 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 it's the post polarity of having a stroke and trying to figure out 
sense. How can I be so explosive, but with one streamlined vision? And that's why I think for me, being a brand and growth strategist is the only way to define me because to your point, the shoes and the books to me, only thing I see is growth strategy. Only thing I see is, is one thing. I see the Boston Cage brand. I see the notebooks being a growth strategy tool to help someone on, the, on their journey. And then I see the marketing strategy for wearing the shoes that represent the, the actual book. I can visually see John sitting down at a coffee bar with my notebook in his hand, potentially wearing a Boston Cage hat and rocking a pair of orange sneakers. That's the story that I tell. So when I'm delivering that, I have to create that entire vision because I'm two, three years out. So by the time people catch up to me, then it'll make sense. But in reality, I have to create this content and create this vision to make the reality become real. Mm, yeah, I remember when you launched the shoes and I went and like went and looked on the website, you have the counter on. It's like you had literally just launched like within hours and it was like 65 people have bought these, 100 people have bought these ones. I'm like, that is some amazing, like immediate, you've got, you've got the audience, you've got the brand, like it's so clear, right? And it's everything is so you. And um, I, yeah. You are certainly iconic. Well, I definitely appreciate it. It's just kind of just living up to like what brands should be. And it was like, when I look at the hierarchy of brands, that's part of the equation, right? And if you're going to be a personal brand, like the definition of that four little word of being iconic, that's the only thing you can be in the period of time that you have. Because once you're dead and gone, you're not going to have the opportunity to go back and change anything. So do everything you can. And to your point, I love the fact that not only are you a trendsetter, but you're also, you analyze trends. So for you, like your shorts, like that's, I can tell from a strategy standpoint, like that's your bread and butter right now. You're creating shorts. Like so regular is ridiculous that the algorithms are probably just giving you whatever you want at this point. I, I do hear that pretty often. Like you, somehow you've hacked my algorithm. I hear that a lot. Like every time I open up my app, you're right there. I'm like, Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All about content. Any last questions from you? No, I think that's I think that's it. Thank you for letting me turn the mic around for a second. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I definitely appreciate it. I think before the show we even started, we talked about this one's probably going to go a little bit longer than normal. So the, the listener that's still listening, if, if you stopped at any point in time, this is an episode that you, you probably need to take in segments. But I definitely want you to listen to it because it's so much value, so much delivery, so much passion, so much desire to help. If you're missing this, you're missing an opportunity. And once you miss an opportunity, it's kind of hard to get back on that bad bike. Mm -hmm. True. True, true. <laughs> Great. S.A. Grant. Over and out. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Boss Uncaged. I hope you got some helpful insight and clarity to the diverse approach on your journey to becoming an uncaged trailblazer. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast. If this podcast has helped you or you have any additional questions, reach out and let me know. Email me at ask at sagrant.com or drop me your thoughts via a call or text at 762-233-BOSS. That's 762-233-2677. I would love to hear from you. Remember, to become a boss in cage, you have to release your inner beast. S.A. Grant, signing off. Listeners of Boss in Cage are invited to download a free copy of our host, S.A. Grant's insightful ebook. Become an uncaged trailblazer. 
Learn how to release your primal success in 15 minutes a day. Download now at www.bossuncaged.com forward slash free book.